Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Fighting for the Ground podcast, where I discover stories of grit, resilience, and connection. I'm your host, Marie Gettelgill-Martin. And this podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. I help professional services firms avoid boring and boost employee engagement, productivity, and readership. I translate technical, complex, and lackluster language into accessible, dynamic, story-driven text. Get noted your industry through outstanding thought leadership content. Walk your talk through vibrant, effective communications with your employees and clients. I alternate this Finding Fertile Ground podcast with my other podcast, Companies That Care, which is about business leaders making a difference in the world. On both of my podcasts, I strive to highlight historically excluded voices, the people who don't always get a platform. Check out my website for more details. This week on the Finding Fertile Ground podcast, I interview Gresham Harkless Jr., founder of CEO Blog Nation and Blue 16 Media, and host of the I Am CEO podcast and CEO Chat podcast. Gresh graduated from Howard University in Georgetown and has interviewed more than 2,000 CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners, including me. Life hasn't always been easy for him, though. He graduated in 2009 during the economic crisis and felt like he did all the things he was supposed to do to position himself for success. But he had to learn it all on his own because each of the companies he went to, he lacked mentors. With layoffs and tearing his Achilles tendon, he felt like a ship lost at sea. Gresh is a wonderful, warm human being, and I really enjoyed hearing about his life journey and how he ended up building two successful businesses at such a young age. Let's meet Gresh. Hello, Gresh. Thank you so much for joining me on Finding Fertile Ground. Marie, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I really enjoyed being on your podcast. So I'm looking forward to this one as well. So let's start at the very beginning, which I usually like to do. Could you tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up and what your family experiences was like? Yeah, absolutely. I'm an only child of my mom and my dad. So I grew up in Northern Virginia, about 45 minutes or so outside of Washington, D.C. I'm a military brat as well, too. So I didn't travel or or have to move as much as most military brats do. But I started out in Kansas. Don't remember much of that. I went to preschool in Vegas. All I remember is kind of lights. And and that's about (laughs) it there. I do remember Circus Circus too, which was one of my favorite places. I was actually just talking with my parents about getting the opportunity to ride an elephant and, you know, those little small things, what little small things they had that you could do in Vegas at that time I can do. But I pretty much been in the Northern Virginia area since I was about five or so. So I'm an only child. I think an act person. I used to read a lot and and I used to always like to kind of create, you know, little things and got to explore a lot. My childhood was really around that. And and then I used to play uh, basketball, actually, when I was probably about eight or nine years old. I kind of, you know, fell into that. That was one of my loves. I've got a 15 year old son who's obsessed with basketball. That's a phenomenal game. And I still miss it. And I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later why I don't miss it all the way, but I do miss it a little bit and and just the competition and the art of it. And and there's so many things that you kind of get from sports I've learned. I I guess it's probably a a good thing that you didn't move around very much as an only child. I think about a lot of people who grow up in the military and the kids have to be uprooted so frequently. And if you didn't have siblings to kind of rely on, that could have been really hard for you. Yeah, it it definitely could have been. Funny enough, I I feel like I have this 
kind of competitive streak. And I don't know where that came from, but I think a lot of it was probably from my dad, honestly. And my parents are, I think, both, you know, uber competitive and, and just playing family games now. Oh, but really? I think when I, I, yeah, yeah, we're always that person that, that people where, you know, we're kind of going back and forth about cards or taboo or whatever it might be. But I think the thing that I remember the most is that I would always go outside and, you know, shoot basketball out front. Once my family moved, I was able to kind of go outside and shoot. And my dad would always come out and challenge me to a one-on-one game. And he was nice enough to where I won some and I lost some. So I had that balance of knowing what it's like to win, but at the same time losing and, you know, the frustration of losing and, you know, all of that. But I, I really think my competitive streak came from there because I didn't have any siblings. So I, there was no sibling rivalry, so to speak, but they definitely, you know, made me experience what it's like to, to win and lose and everything that kind of comes about from that. Well, I've often found that people who are only children often grow up much more quickly than kids who have siblings. I think because they're being treated like adults, maybe by their parents a little bit more. What do you think? Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. It's, It's funny enough because I'm fairly independent even now. And I think a lot of that came because you have to do a lot more. And you know, whether it be like I even my girlfriend, she's the baby in her family. One of the things that I noticed is that like pretty much, you know, cooking, cleaning, you know, making sure that you do, you know, all the things that you do, all of that kind of fell on me to do. There was no older sibling or younger sibling. So it's kind of like that balance beam of just taking on, I think, more responsibility, which I think probably laid a lot of the foundation to everything that I'm working on now. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm an oldest child of three and then I have three as well. And often the oldest child ends up having a lot more responsibility and there's a lot higher expectations. And then as the birth order goes down, (laughs) the youngest child gets away with everything. But as an only child, not only are you the oldest child, but you have the extra burden of being the only child. Yes, exactly. That really makes a lot of sense. When I look at your LinkedIn and see how much you've accomplished, that makes total sense that you're an only child because (laughs) you've really done a lot in your life and you're not that old. That's why I like to ask about people's childhood. So you then majored in English at Howard before going on to get your master's at Georgetown. Can you tell us about your experience at Howard? Yeah, I loved my experience at Howard and it wasn't, I wanted to go to an HBCU. I wanted to potentially be close to home because I'm still a homebody. And it was actually tough in the very beginning because even though I was close to home, I still miss home a lot. And I think, you know, that first maybe four to six months or so, I just was trying to, you know, find my my way and my place. Like I actually came in as an undecided major. So I had no idea what I wanted to be and just trying to figure out like what I was going to do and, you know, all of those things and missing, you know, what was my norm, like, you know, working, going to school, just all those things I did, that was all kind of different. And I had that transition moment where I I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And and it was was definitely difficult, but I think I settled down kind of gradually over the years. And and, and I found my place. I found my way. I ended up becoming an English major. At that time, I actually minored in administration of justice. And I thought that I was going to go to law school. But I didn't decide to to go. I took the LSAT and all those things. But it was definitely like a, a really phenomenal experience just overall. Just thinking from the very first time I set foot on campus before I said I was going to go to Howard and made the decision to like graduating and being on that same, you know, the yard where they have literally everything. There's so much energy there. It was one of those experiences that... Yeah, 
it's really hard to put into words, but it was really, you know, awesome to see, you know, especially people of color that were, you know, moving and shaking and doing so many phenomenal things. So I, I definitely hold that dear to my heart. And I would definitely, you know, tell everybody who's even thinking about it, that it's definitely a phenomenal place to be and such a great energy and, and really accomplished people that have come from there too. I would think that being a black person going to an HBCU and then leaving the HBCU that would be kind of hard. You're in this environment where Black excellence and Black experience is being celebrated. And then to leave that, was that a hard transition? You know, funny enough, I I was kind of somewhat of the opposite because growing up, I actually was in a lot of advanced classes. I was quote unquote gifted. So I was in a gifted program. So honestly, I wasn't actually around as many Black people in some of the classes. I did play basketball. I did, of course, have the PE, those classes and things like that. But I I think one of the things that kind of even going back to my childhood that I remember, my mom was always really adamant about, I think, painting a picture of that Black excellence before I even set foot on Howard's campus. And, you know, whether that be like reading biographies and stories from, you know, leaders that had accomplished things, I think that really, you know, cemented in me how important that was even years later, because I think sometimes those those narratives, those stories don't get told as much. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, going to Howard, you get to see that, you hear that a lot more. But I think the the reality that I kind of grew up in was that, hey, you can be excellent no matter the color of your skin. And that doesn't really measure who you are, or what you are. Some people might do that. And you have to kind of understand that and the frustration of you know what that is and what that looks like has manifested itself in the things that we see today. But don't let that allow you to not be as excellent as you could be. So that was something that was, you know, planted, you know, within me. So when I went to Howard, I was really like, okay, this is a really great energy. But I think when I left Howard, I was already like, okay, well, that's that experience where I felt like I got that opportunity to kind of grow, develop. I didn't have the spotlight on me, so to speak, where I was the only, you know, black person in a classroom Mm, or black person that had the answer. But I I gained that confidence. I gained a little bit more clarity around who I wanted to be and who I was. And I think that helped me where I did have a little bit more of the spotlight on me. And I had to kind of step more into that. Interesting. You know, I remember reading Alicia Keys book, and do you like Alicia Keys? Yes. Who yes. <laughs> so, so, so she wrote a really great book. And I remember really vividly her talking about how she talked to her children about Black excellence. And basically, she told her children that we are descended from kings and queens before she talked to them about racism. And I thought that was such a wonderful message, like what your parents did for you. Yeah, I think it changed so much of like how people can look at you and how that becomes how you look at yourself. When you start to realize that there was a great history that doesn't always get told or get talked about. And I think once you start to to show the excellence, it's just, it's just about having, like, I think a holistic look at, you know, black people's history or anybody's history at that, where you get that opportunity to see the maybe, you know, not so good, but also the really great things that were accomplished as well too, so that you do understand like the holistic part. And often we don't get that whole holistic, you know, look. So it's on us to to kind of make sure as parents, as leaders, as mentors, whatever that is, to make sure that we are, you know, adding to that narrative so that it it kind of have that both sides and all the sides of the story. You know, having this conversation is making me think of this book that I read last year called Black Magic, What Black Leaders Learn from Trauma and Triumph. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -hmm. I think I might have. I don't think I've read it though. It's by Chad Sanders. And I think he worked for Google or someplace like that. And he basically interviewed a lot of his 
friends and colleagues who are Black people who've been very successful, mostly in business. I think you'd really like it. And they talk about how they have done that and how they've used their obstacles to succeed in business. And it seems right up your alley. It just reminds me a lot of you. So yeah, yeah I highly recommend I'll definitely that have to check that out. So let's talk about your grit and resilience story. What obstacles have you overcome in your life? Yeah. So for me, I graduated in uh, 2009, you know, during the economic crisis. And like I mentioned, like I didn't really know like exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up. So when I, you know, transitioned through all of that, I had a little bit more of awareness of what that was and what that would look like. But I always knew I was interested in, you know, reading and writing. So something would kind of come along the lines there. When I was 10 years old, one of the things that I didn't mention is my dad went to an entirely different country because he was in the military. So he went TDY for an entire year. So I started a family newspaper at that time. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So I I started that family newspaper and I would find out about all the things that were going on, you know, in the family. I would basically, you know, have Microsoft Word, add some clip art in, you know, add some some headlines and titles and all of those things. And I would create a newspaper every single month. And, you know, those were the seeds of my entrepreneurship journey because... I sold the subscription to the, my family members as well, too. So, oh, you um, actually made money from it. Oh, I, I love did that. make a little bit that of money. So awesome. I love <laughs> yes. It. So, that's what kind of led me to think about English and know that that was something that maybe was a story that was unique to me that a lot of people didn't share. And fast forward a lot of years, like I, I was just trying to kind of find my way again. I've kind of felt like probably similar to how I was when I ended up on Howard's campus is just like, what should I do? What should I not do? And that led me to eventually, you know, get a, a position. And I worked at a few different jobs, but I end up getting laid off from one of the jobs, the last jobs that I had. And one of the frustrating things, you know, for that time is because I felt like I quote unquote did everything right. So I went to Howard, then I went to Georgetown to get my master's in one year. So I felt like I had done everything that I was supposed to do. But like during the economic crisis, it was just like really chaotic time at each of the positions that I think I had, which was about three or four different positions. Each of the managers that I thought was going to mentor me had left the position. So Mm. it was always just very, very chaotic to kind of understand like, where you're going to go, how you're going to develop, what you're going to end up being, and not even having anybody to kind of lean on to do that. I also tore my Achilles tendon sometime in between there. And I was just in a very like kind of frustrating place about what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, like if I was doing everything right. And it was just all that happened within probably about three to four years where it, it kind of led me to like, you know, not the the best spot and mental place that I wanted to be. But needless to say, When I got laid off from the position, I took another position knowing that I would probably get laid off again and I probably wouldn't be able to stay in that position either. So that's where I started, you know, the business and everything that I did. But it was it was just crazy. I don't know any other ways to say it. Like, I think the amount of things that happen in such a short period of time. It where it just leaves you kind of frustrated and unaware of like what you're doing, how you're doing it, if you're doing anything right, like where you're going to be like 20 years down the line. And it was just, you know, for lack of a better term, just being like a a ship lost at sea. That's how I kind of felt like throughout that entire period. Oh, yeah, that must have been hard. I know after many, many years in the corporate world and then I got laid off two years in a row, I can totally relate to that feeling (laughs) like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Yeah, it's hard not to take it personally, too even if there are financial circumstances that, that lead to that, you know, it's hard. Yeah, 
It is. It is. Cause I think we forget about, you know, work being a, a strong part of like who we are and how much time we spend there. And a lot of times we, we wrap our identity up in the work that we do and to be kind of told, you know, that, you know, you're not going to have that position. You're not going to have that opportunity, even if it's, you know, kind of crazy, you know, economic wise as it was for me, it's just, it's still a frustrating and hard pill to swallow. Yeah, definitely. So tell us what you're doing now. How have you found your fertile ground? Yes. Yeah, so I mentioned that, you know, I started kind of like that family newspaper. And actually, when I tore my Achilles tendon, I started what eventually became the blog and which eventually became the podcast and all the things that I'm doing now. So I think one of the things I love about your podcast, and of course, having you on my podcast as well, too, has been the, the idea of that fertile ground. And I think so many times we forget that when we're trying to find the fertile ground, um, there's seeds of it that have been planted sometimes in our darkest mm -hmm. moments and experiences mm -hmm. in our lives. Lives. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to bring that up is because that's what kind of laid the foundation of everything that I'm doing now. So I have a, a digital marketing company under the umbrella of Blue 16 Marketing or Blue 16 Media. And we primarily focus on web design, SEO, website support and for clients and, and entrepreneurs and business owners. And I also have like a slew of resources under the umbrella of CB Nation. And that's podcasts, blogs, video content, all to help entrepreneurs and business owners succeed. So those two things Things are, are definitely in tandem, but I try to remind myself, especially like during the frustrating moments that often that didn't come when it was, you know, light outside, it wasn't sunshine and rainbows. It actually came from those dark moments that sometimes you want to zoom past, but actually there might be really phenomenal things that come about from that. I love that perspective. I was on a, a guest on some podcast and she pointed out to me that something that I'd never thought about, which was that all of the things that I did in the corporate world you know, because I reinvented myself over and over again through all my time in corporate, all of that laid a path for starting my own business. It's like, oh, wow. Yes, totally. <laughs> Never thought of it that way before. That was really helpful for me to understand. As you know, starting a business is not right for everybody, but I feel like I had all the tools that I had developed in corporate that really helped me. So yeah, like your seeds, all the seeds that were planted. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We forget about all those things. And and I often feel like in life and especially in marketing and advertising, you hear that a lot too, is we're always get this feeling of lack of like, we don't have this or we don't have that, or we need this or we need that. But often if we really look at the experiences, the things we've overcome, we have so much more than we think that we have to kind of get to where we ultimately want to be. I agree. So looking at your list of of businesses and activities that you're doing. How do you do it all? I mean, you are doing a phenomenal <laughs> amount of, of work, blogs, podcasts, you know, just running a business. How do you do it? Do you have a team or are you pretty much doing this all by yourself? No, I definitely have a team. The biggest thing for me is really understanding and my faith and believing in God, believing I've been given gifts. Um, and those gifts are to really, you know, make an impact on the world. So when I think about everything that I do, it's not something that's just going to happen for a day or for a week or for a year. I think really long term on like what I'm going to do and why I'm trying to do that. So when I look at that and even people on my team, that's what I try to, to highlight is those gifts? How can I help those gifts manifest themselves in the world and, and make an impact and also have those people on the team that are able to, to believe in that, see that long-term focus and, and really execute that. But I definitely would not be able to do mu much of what I do without strong members of the team. 
Can you tell us a little bit about your experience working as a Black man in the corporate world? Do you prefer working for yourself? Did you find that you had to code switch a lot or was that not really a, a challenge for you when you were in corporate? You know, I can't say that I was in corporate, you know, for maybe long enough to to have felt as much of that. And that does it definitely doesn't mean that it didn't exist. I was very, very aware. And a lot of that is why I wanted to kind of start my own business. I always knew that I wanted to do that, didn't know exactly what I what it was going to be. But I, you know, you hear stories all the time. I've even heard stories from people in my family, whether it be a black man or a black woman, and just how you hit that glass ceiling or the glass wall or things aren't really being um I guess, equal as far as like how people are treated. So I was very aware of that. But I, I think one of the, the big things that I love about entrepreneurship, love about business is I often saw, and I, I definitely saw this in the, the African-American uh, History Museum in, in DC, is that the phrase making a way out of no way. And mm-hmm. that's what I've always felt like entrepreneurship was. It, to me, I've always said it felt like hope because a lot of times if you don't see a path or you don't see an opportunity, yes, you might have to work twice as hard to get half as far, but you're willing to roll up your sleeves to make that happen. And that was a choice that I made, you know, to some degree, you know, fairly early on where I decided that this is ultimately something that I want to do. I'm not going to be able to maybe do it in the way that everybody else has done it. But, you know, it's so important that is, especially as a black man, that I try to hopefully create, you know, paths and opportunities um, for myself, for my family, but also for hopefully future generations that I can make that impact as well, too. And, and just thinking from a legacy standpoint, too. Yeah, that is so inspiring. I interviewed a woman named Nala Osuji. She's an immigrant and she also is an actor and a writer and she calls it Tyler Perrying her way through the world (laughs) (laughs) because she's like, you know, the opportunities were not existing for me. So I decided to create them. And I love that idea. It's awesome. Very inspiring. You spent a lot of your time talking to CEOs and small business owners. What are some of the lessons you've learned in having all these conversations with them that you might want to pass on to our listeners? Wow. So I, I've done about 1200 or so episodes and oh funny enough gosh, earlier today. Yes. I was literally just telling somebody that I have, you know, so much kind of content and information and people that I've interviewed that there's so much knowledge and tools and tidbits that I want to start to compile and and figure out what are the nuances. But I think one of the things that has come up more than anything else, and I've kind of, you know, dialed that into my system and my process as well, too, is the importance of the morning routine. And I think that it's not so much that you wake up early or you go to sleep late or anything like that. I think so many times we get caught up in like, I have to wake up at 4 a.m. to be successful or I have to, you know, go to sleep at 10. I think it's so important just to have those routines. So one of the consistent things that I've heard um, from people that are successful is they have their routines, they know what they are, and they try to lean more into those as much as possible. We were just talking, I think, before about the craziness of everything that's going on in the world. It's some, often those routines that you can lean on throughout most of the craziness that'll allow you to kind of right the ship when things are, are happening. But I think that's one of the, the biggest things that have come up. Another big thing that you know I, I hear you know consistently on the show and on the podcast is that entrepreneurship is hard and you just Mm -hmm. said it, you know, it it is not easy at all. Don't believe Instagram. Don't believe the the magazines of not hearing the real path to success. Often I'll ask on my show, like if, if you were to hop into a time machine, what would you tell your younger business self? And the biggest thing that I always say that I would tell my younger business self is that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Mm -hmm. If you're going through difficulties, you're going through challenges. First of all, you're not 
alone. You feel like you're by yourself. You feel like you're the only one. You feel like you don't have everything, you know, set up. You don't have everything you need, as I kind of talked about before. But in reality, it's part of the journey. And the journey is not, you know, always great. But it's something that you have to understand that those people that have reached the success that you want, the success that you're striving for, have gone through those periods. And the difference between those and other people is that they just have kept going. They get creative and they start to learn exactly how to get to where they want to be. And those will probably be the two. If there's maybe one more I can mention is that as we're experiencing during this time, it's a very chaotic time. There's lots of changes. There's uh, lots of things that are not quote unquote normal. And it's so important that you are flexible. You kind of understand why you do, you're doing what you're doing. You understand your mission, your vision and all of those things, but you don't get as attached to the how, because I think that if we're talking about going to networking events, for example, that has completely changed. If you're like, I have to go face to face to meet with somebody and talk with somebody eye to eye, that's not the way that many things have changed and adjusted. So if you're set in your ways about that, you're not really understanding that your mission can still be impactful for many people and the people that you want to if you adjust the how. So I think that's the biggest thing that kind of comes you know, to mind about you know, people that I've had on the show and people that I've interviewed is those three things are you know, very, very foundational. Of course, there's lots and lots more, but those are things that have really resonated with me more than anybody else. And I think a lot of the audience too. Yeah, I like that what you said about the morning routine that you don't have to get up early because I am not a morning person at all. (laughs) (laughs) So So my husband is, he gets up at six every day and he has a morning routine. And I've really been trying this year to implement one, a very simple one. I mean, all I do is, and of course I didn't do it this morning, I'm realizing, (laughs) but but also trying not to be too hard on myself when I'm not able to do it or doing it later in the day. So I have been consistent. If I don't do it first thing in the morning, I do it later in the day. And that is to write for 10 minutes in my journal and then just write about what happened yesterday, what's going on in my head. And then the other thing is just plotting out what I'm going to do in the day. Like I have each hour worked out and this is a new thing for me. It helps me be more productive when I do that. So yeah, so far it's going pretty well. And then the other thing nice. that I, my word for the year is discard. And mm. so I am trying to do that throughout my life, including my business. I set out with so many things. I could do this. I could do that after 30 years in, in the corporate world. And I'm trying to narrow my focus on what I really love doing most, which is writing and communications strategy and ghostwriting and research and things like that. And then the other thing is that I have set a ritual this year to discard at least one thing a day as part of my word of the year. So I usually write in my journal about what I'm discarding. So the other thing that you said that really resonated with me as well is that entrepreneurial life is not for everybody. It definitely has its challenges. You know, I I think it's really interesting when I look at your LinkedIn, you are obviously a natural born leader. I have always as well been called to leadership. One of those types that if I I put in a small group and nobody really is taking charge, then I step in and I take charge. I can tell that you're that way too. So what advice do you have for someone who's not naturally drawn to leadership, but wants to become a leader? Do you have anything that you like to share with those types of people? I appreciate you so much. You're definitely very kind. I think that one of the things that we forget about with leadership is that you can be a leader in so many different ways. And when we 
often feel that we're not uh, being a leader or we don't know how to be a leader, we can usually look at experiences that we've had in our life, in our work, at home, and have shown those leadership skills that we actually are seeking. And it kind of goes back to what I talked about is like, we often are told that we're in lack, that we need, you know, something or, you know, we don't have everything we need, but in reality, we've done and experienced a lot and we, we can do those things. But the biggest lesson that I constantly kind of remind myself of is really making sure to, like I like to say, run your own race and then you can't lose. And all that basically means is that when you lead, lead according to how you lead. It's not to say that you can't always get better at communication because that's obviously a big part of leadership. It's not saying that you can't organize a little bit better so that the people on your team understand like where you're going. But I think it's, it's so important, just like we talked about the morning routines, that you figure out what works for you and you lean into that. And really the, the people that truly innovate and really do things in a way that kind of changes the world, changes their home. It just just really reverberates in so many different ways are those people who don't copy what everybody else does, who Mm kind of stay in their lane and run their race to do that. So that's one of the biggest things that I would say is that, first of all, think about the times that you have led, but two, really lean into leadership according to how you will lead, because there is not one set way to lead. At the end of the day, usually you just want to get to whatever your goal is and know that there's many different ways to get there just as we kind of learn uh, with entrepreneurship and business. Yeah, that's really important message. I remember having a conversation with my oldest son during the start of the pandemic, he was working at Whole Foods and Mm -hmm. he had applied for a promotion. It was a supervisory position and he didn't get it. And I was talking to him about it. And I said, is that really what you want to do? (laughs) I can't see him doing that. I mean, in a retail environment, being a supervisor. And he's like, no, I just applied for it because I wanted to raise. And so I said, you know, what I would really recommend is that you find a new work environment where you can advance in your career without having to necessarily jump to supervision. You know, you can be a leader in other ways. In, In a larger company, you can get promoted without having to supervise the entire team. And so he ended up, you know, getting a job. Now he's working at a credit union and is much happier and he can advance in his job without having to run the whole show. (laughs) So yeah, I like that. Run your own race. That's really wise. So a fun question for you. Have you read or watched anything recently that has inspired you? That is a really great question. I'm I'm a really big sports guy and I haven't watched it because I'm trying to wait to watch all of them. But one of the things that I've always tried to do and kind of led me into like looking into entrepreneurship is I started to really like study success, Hmm. uh, study what success looks like and, and try to just consume as much as possible people that are successful and how they became successful, whether it's in business or in, in life or anything in between and all around. So I constantly do that. One of the things that I want to um, watch and it's on my list to watch, I'm trying to watch them all together because I'm, I'm not a big fan of having to wait a week or two weeks for something to come out. Tom Brady and his success, it goes through each of his um, Super Bowl wins. So that's one of the things that's just kind of coming to mind of something that I, I want to watch just to kind of Again, you know, seeping like what makes this person successful and how you can learn, you know, some of those things along the same lines. Like that was a long time ago, but the last dance, my girlfriend gets on me because I watch it all the 
time because again, it's just like understanding the the things that make people successful. And I'm a big sports junkie. So like, how <laughs> can I, you know, implement some of those things? There are so many sports movies out there, the the rags to riches yeah. sorts of, you know, right. so and I, yeah, those can be really inspiring. Did you ever see the one called Million Dollar Arm? Oh, no, I don't think so. There was a guy, John Hamm, I remember he was like a sports agent or something, and he was trying to recruit baseball players. And he decided mm-hmm. to go to India and recruit cricket players. So he brought these Indian young men to the US to play baseball. Yeah. I, I definitely want to check it out and, and, and see. Yeah, because I'm always trying to, you know, learn as much as possible. And I think that's one of the beautiful things around, you know, all of this, you know, media and opportunity. We get to listen to people and podcasts and everything in between and all around is you get to get different perspectives and learn from different cultures. And the cool thing about that movie is it's the creativity and thinking like, well, how can you make that shift from cricket to baseball? It's a creative solution. I know that you're interested in that. So is there a story of grit and resilience that has been an inspiration for you in your life? And, you know, my parents, you know, don't talk about it as much, but I think when you start to kind of realize like you're a part of my parents' dreams and their aspiration and their goals and and knowing that I grew up, you know, middle class. So I didn't have, you know, the struggles or the frustrations that a lot of people are experiencing. And I think that once I started to get older, you start to realize a little bit more about that. So to answer your question, I mean, it's definitely, you know, just hearing, you know, more about my parents and how they grew up and how they didn't necessarily have, you know, all the things that they had, but I was a product of them wanting to make sure that I had a better life. Like one of the things I did mention, like when I was graduating high school, I wasn't really sure why I didn't really want to go to, to, to college necessarily. I was lucky enough to where I had that option where I actually did have the grades and everything to be able to get into school, but I wasn't sure that that was something that I wanted to do. But my parents were really on me, like you're, you're going to <laughs> school and probably especially because I'm an only child too there was like no other option <laughs> right. I couldn't tell my siblings to go and I wouldn't go but I I just think a lot of that came from the life that they had and I think too like especially my dad went straight into the military I went to see a military recruiter and my dad said of course you can go to the military but I think one of the things that you should do is you you should come in as an officer so go to school then you can mm. go into the military if that's what you decide and the reason I bring all that up is because I think so many times we can get in silos about our life I mean the decisions that we make or that we don't make but we often forget about the loved ones the people that care for us my family my parents that really had lived life. And I had the opportunity to kind of learn from the things that they learned. And I think that's probably been the most, you know, inspirational, you know, thing for me is like, what can I do to try to, you know, make my impact so that one, I could hopefully make them proud, but two, hopefully I can help them as much as they help me as well too. And, and that's something that I always kind of lean on, you know, as far as like remembering everything, remembering why, um, and remembering all the things that, you know, you have that you can kind of do to help others as well too. That's really nice story. Yeah. I think that so often when young people graduate from high school and they don't know what they want to do with their lives, I can totally understand where you were at. It's like, well, do I, I don't know if I want to go to college. And if you don't have a parent who's kind of pushing you in that direction, you may not make that choice. But, you know, I, I think it's definitely good to have somebody to kind of push you because right. it's a missed opportunity. It's harder to go to college when you're older. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My oldest son is a little bit like that too. It's like, I don't know if I want to go. And uh, you know, like I just would recommend to young people, if I were you, I would go and see if you like it. And if you don't, you can always drop out. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, and go later or yeah. something like go give it a try, yeah. see whether it works. So, yeah, because it's just harder. Everything's harder when you get older, I think. So, right, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have more responsibilities and it becomes yeah. a lot more difficult. And and I think even too with my business, you know, when I was in that spot, I was kind of frustrated, you know, because I'd just been laid off. I was going to get laid off again. But I think part of me, and it helped, of course, that I was staying at home with my family, that I kind of felt like I had less to lose than I would have if I started something later on. And I think that if you look at, you know, granted, you know, I've read a lot of things and there's a lot of statistics that say people that start, you know, really successful businesses do it after they have the experience and all of those things. But I think if we go back to, you know, what you said so well is that nothing that you do is not going to add up to where you are later on in life. So even if you decide to start a business when you are, you know, 19 or 25 or 35 or 45, whatever number it might be, that's going to add up into, you know, what you experience later on. You're only going to be better Mm -hmm. as a result of it. Mm -hmm. And I think we often say, okay, I want to build a business to six or seven figures, but we often forget, like sometimes the biggest benefit of running a business is actually the the benefit of growing yourself. And you learn so much more about yourself and what you could do, whether it goes the way you want it to go, the way it doesn't, because I've definitely had some duds as well too. Yes, totally. I've definitely learned in the last few years of what kind of clients I don't want to work with again. I've had a number of them that I'm like, okay, I'm done with that client. Have you had that many clients like that as well in your marketing business? Yeah. Yes, I have. We could probably do a whole episode. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> I love to talk more about that because I've really learned a lot that yeah. you never quite know how it's going to work out when you get started, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, yeah, very interesting. So yeah, we'll have to have another conversation about that, Gresh. So how, <laughs> yes. how, how can people contact you if they want to get a hold of you? Yes. So everything I do, I have, I have linked to my personal site, which is imgresh.com. That's I-A-M-G-R-E-S-H.com. Um, if you want to check out a lot of the links to the other you know, things that I mentioned, the podcast, the digital marketing, all of the things, you can find that at uh, blue16media.com. That's blue16media.com. Great. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we close? No, Marie, I I truly appreciate you for giving me the opportunity to talk with you again and just, you know, be a part of the show and everything that you're doing. I I think it's so important that I I love the name of the show because I think we're all trying to find our fertile ground. We're all trying to find that opportunity where we can flourish and we can shine. But I think we often forget that it's a journey to get to that. And we can often get in the mode of like, I want it now and I want it here. (laughs) But if we could get into the mindset of understanding that it's always part of like what we're doing, what we're experiencing that journey, then I think we can have a little bit more peace and everything and even the craziness that might be happening. So I appreciate you for having me on and and doing this show. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I think I will have some sort of executive roundtable about difficult clients and I will be in touch. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would be a really interesting topic to discuss, wouldn't it? Maybe we could all help each other out to be able to see the red flags in advance. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. What grit we need for that too. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Thank you so much for your time, Gresh. It's been a great conversation and I will be in touch. Thank you. I appreciate you. I still love that story about how Gresh started up a family newspaper as his first business. The power of being an English major. I love it. You can see photos and learn more about Gresh at www.fertilegroundcommunications.com. Look for the Finding Fertile Ground podcast tab. Listeners, did this episode inspire you? I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or have an idea for a guest or topic I should cover, drop me a line at marie at fertilegroundcommunications.com. Thanks for listening to the Finding Photo Ground podcast. 
If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review.